Hi, everybody. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to Eplorbus Cast. I'm your host, as you know, and we have a special guest today, someone I admire, someone I follow on Twitter, you should too, and have had the pleasure of working with when I was with MSNBC as a commentator. I am pleased to introduce to you my colleague, a great American thought leader, a family man, an MSNBC contributor, and Princeton University's James S. McDonald Distinguished University Professor and Chair of the Department of African American Studies, Eddie Glott. Eddie, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Boy, I this tell you, great. a lot going on in America right now, huh? Indeed. Indeed. It's scary. These are scary and dark times all at once. Yeah, you know, and both you and I, we've done Morning Joe together. We're both optimists. So when people like you and I start to think it's scary and dark, that makes me a little nervous. Yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm always, you know, mindful of W.E.B. Du Bois's famous phrase and of the passing of the firstborn. He says, I'm, I have a hope that's not hope. That's that's where I am right a now. Hope that's not hopeless. You, you got you got cut off a little bit there. So give us that quote again, so we make sure we got it. A hope, not hopeless, but unhopeful. I got that. That's good. That's real good. Everybody, put that one on your board of quotes. I know many of you do vision boards. You, you have your little yellow stickies all over to encourage yourself. W. E. B. Du Bois is always someone to be quoted and to pay attention to you know I want to get right into it because I know you're a busy man sure. and uh, these are busy times uh, I want to talk a little bit about Tuesday night October 14th or 15th whatever day it was but Tuesday night um, CNN hosted the sixth presidential debate um, and I want to know what you thought who do you think did a good job anybody help themselves hurt themselves who's looking like the nominee well, you know, I don't think um, anyone hurt themselves. Um, you know, we're at, I don't know if the debate changed uh, the, the, the current state of affairs. The, the top three still remain the top three, and that's uh, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think Pete Buttigieg tried to make a move. Uh, in some instances, I thought Mayor Pete were, was a bit harsh and shrill uh, in some of his responses. I thought Amy Klobuchar and 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 uh, Beto O'Rourke tried to make some some headway by going after Elizabeth Warren and and, and Mayor Pete as well, uh, particularly around the question of taxes and Medicare. I thought that uh, Cory Booker's uh, closing remarks were were the best uh, uh, of the evening. Uh, uh, Vice President Biden uh, didn't lose a step. There were still some moments of profound uh, 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 incoherence, at least from my vantage point. Um, you know, I, I can't wait for Vice President Biden to to complete a thought uh, or at least a sentence. Um, but for the most part, nothing changed. But I should say this, Sister Sophia, I was I was impressed. Bernie Sanders just had a heart attack and he stood up there for three hours uh, and he was strong. Uh, he was on message. Um, and and I think uh, uh, if any support, any of his supporters were doubtful. Uh, they came away uh, reassured that he's in this for the long run. You know, run. I think I agree with you 100% on your assessment. Um, and, you know, uh, my mom, who's a medical professional, uh, said to me, you know, the reason he looks better and sounds better and is stronger is because they cleared him out. He's, he's actually in better shape. <laughs> you know, no, no jokes aside, she's right. When you have that type yeah. of surgery and they unclog arteries or block vessels or whatever the case, 
uh, you know, your recovery time is important. But yeah, all of a sudden now it's like, uh, you know, for lack of a better analogy, you know, if you have a stopped up drain and you get that Drano working, mm-hmm. that thing works like magic as soon as it's unclogged. Well, it's the same thing with us, yeah. right? So I thought it was great to see him. I'm not on the Bernie train, but I respect him. Certainly, I respect anybody at 78 years of age that has a heart attack and can get on the stage and do what he did. And I agree with you. I think he acquitted himself really well. Um, I think that Vice President Biden, I just, I love him and want him to be the guy so bad, but he's just killing me over here. So, you know, I, you know, I I don't have any, any any dogs in this fight. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm clear that I'm, 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 I'm a progressive if there are labels that I would want to uh, apply to myself. Uh, uh, but it is it is the case that, you know, uh, Vice President Biden has to uh, uh, be clear uh, in, in, in his vision in his presentation of his vision for for the for the country. Uh, but but I thought uh, it was an interesting juxtaposition last night uh, or the other evening between, you know, seeing and watching um, Elizabeth Warren uh, uh, respond as the front runner. Uh, as people try to push her on her policies to get her to be a little bit more forthright or just simply forthright about how she was going to pay for Medicare for all. Um, and, and so we saw uh, some slight differentiation, uh, which is important, but we have a long way to go uh, before we get to Iowa, before the first vote is cast. Uh, many of these folks will continue to uh, make themselves known to, to the electorate. And hopefully we'll start winnowing the field down so that we can begin to to, to hear and see more clearly and more substantively the differences between the two. Yeah, candidates. I agree. I mean, I'm a political junkie, have been my entire life, been in Washington, worked on the Hill, covered the Obamas. You know, I've been doing this a long time and I found myself worn out and weary. 12 people is just too many people to try to sift through, to listen to. Uh, it becomes like a food fight. Some of the people you want to hear from can't get a word in edgewise. Uh, I mm-hmm. wasn't happy necessarily with the opening question, which segues me into the next thing I want to talk about, which is uh, the opening question from Anderson Cooper, who was the moderator on CNN, among his other two colleagues, was about uh, the impeachment inquiry. And I guess that sets the tone for everything we're going to be talking about, certainly for the rest of this year and into next year. Uh, it's my understanding, based on the breaking news I just saw, that the Republican Senate conference just had a meeting and the whole discussion was about uh, the hearing. Uh, it would be six days a week, not on Sundays until they were finished. Uh, no socializing on the floor of the Senate, only in the cloakrooms. And so that signals to me that Leader McConnell fully expects him to be impeached and soon and that they will hold the trial. So um, I think what I want to hear from you, my friend, is what are your thoughts on whether or not you think he's going to be impeached? And then secondly, what is that going to do to the country? Where where is this going to take us as we head into a presidential cycle? Because that's never happened before. Right. You know, I think I, I think he's going to be impeached. Um, it seems to me that uh, given what's in the public record, um, uh, articles of impeachment are warranted. It seems to me um, um, I don't know. I think uh, Leader McConnell has made it clear that he's committed to uh, uh, a trial uh, that how long it will last, <laughs> given McConnell's shenanigans. I'm not sure. Uh, but but I do know that it's important for for our constitutional 
uh, Republic that uh, uh, the Congress exercises its oversight responsibilities vis-a-vis the executive. We are in the middle right now, Sophia, of, I think, uh, of, of a constitutional crisis where uh, what we've experienced over generations with regards to the ever-expanding nature of executive power has now come to a head. Uh, and the elected body, uh, legislative body of this country has to exercise its constitutional responsibility uh, in light of an executive branch that has gone rogue, uh, that seems to flout every democratic norm that in some ways uh, uh, undergirds our system. So I think it has to happen. Now, what it will mean for our political process is another question. Um, I, I am convinced that what Donald Trump has been doing, he's been doing it since the Mueller investigation, since before he was elected president, is setting the ground to question the legitimacy of, 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 of any outcome that is not in his favor. So we're going to face, I think, uh, a deep division within the country about whether or not this is simply politically motivated, uh, whether or not folks just simply want to undermine uh, what they take to be a free and fair election, that this is an undemocratic process, or to use Donald Trump's language and his minions, uh, that this is, in effect, an attempt at a political coup. And to the extent to which folks view that to be the case or understand that to be the case, our the political, the presidential, the presidential election is going to be fraught, um, to put it lightly. It's going to be weighted by these these deep divisions that will only be uh, deepened uh, uh, once the articles of impeachment are delivered to the Senate. So we have to buckle up because it's about to get even uglier in the yeah, country. Yeah, I just want to echo uh, everything that. Uh... Eddie said here, because as someone who uh, is an attorney by trade, as someone who uh, uh, went before the bar of the United States Supreme Court, as someone who worked as a House committee counsel, a majority counsel, back in the late 90s when Bill Clinton was being impeached, uh, he's absolutely right. And I want to underscore that uh, Eddie would deem himself a political progressive if he labeled himself we all know I'm a moderate Republican they don't really exist anymore my mentors were people like Jack Kemp and Christy Todd Whitman and Pete Wilson and people like that George Herbert Walker Bush uh, those type of Republicans don't seem to be around much anymore Mitt Romney you could say is one of the last ones left but so Eddie and I might not agree on a whole lot politically, but I think we agree probably on a lot intellectually and culturally around where our mm-hmm. country is. And mm-hmm. I think that, uh, Eddie, what I want to get into now, because I really feel like there's an underbelly here. I feel like there's something that I'm missing and that a lot of Americans are perplexed by as to one, how in the hell did we get in this place? And two, what is it that President Trump is connected with uh, with at least a third or more of this country if you look at the polling data uh, which by the way interestingly hold that thought for a moment folks the polling data as of uh, when this podcast will be public um, is that 52% of Americans according to Gallup which is definitely a more conservative poll and 51% according to Fox Fox say that they support impeachment And those numbers are almost as equal for people that think he ought to be removed. Now, when you begin to break that down by Republicans, Democrats, and independents, uh, and you find an interesting divergent points, the independents are overwhelmingly for removal. Republicans are not, of course, that number's going higher, 
it's over 20%. And then, of course, Democrats also, it's pretty high. So I think the first thing I want to talk about is your sense as a professor of African-American studies. What's really, I mean, you hear it every day that the underbelly here is white fear, uh, white flight, not just from neighborhoods and communities, but feeling like this is not the country they grew up in, uh, that this country's becoming recklessly diverse and full of immigrants, etc. Is there a trick? Is that is that what we're dealing with? I mean, let's just try to take this apart a little bit. What what's going on here? Well, I think I think so. I mean, the political science literature is very clear about this. When we look at uh, works by John Cities and others, they they unpack the 2016 election as principally being about race. That we, we're, what we're seeing is a deepening division in the country where party affiliation actually maps onto racial identification. Mm-hmm. So wow. so the Demo- where the Democratic Party seems to be the party that represents diversity and the Republican Party seems to be uh, the party that represents a kind of uh, a, a desire for a certain kind of white America. Um, and what we saw in terms of uh, how elections play themselves out, and particularly how the presidential election played itself out in two, six, 2016, was how those racial anxieties uh, uh, played themselves out with party identification, which led to deepening divides. So what people are calling tribalism in our politics is really a kind of euphemistic way of talking about how race is animating everything in our current moment. But what we're seeing, I think, in in, in, in very clear ways are the pressures of demographic shifts. Mm-hmm. People have been talking about the browning of America yep. for a while, but we saw the effects of the brown, quote unquote browning of America, uh, the fact that we will be a majority minority nation by 2040. Or, uh, we've, saw, we've seen the effects of that shift already in our yep. politics. And we saw it in 2008 when we looked at the Obama coalition. And, and, and it was clear that a certain kind of configuration of the electorate uh, could deliver the White House uh, to a particular, you know, to a particular party uh, for a while if things didn't change. And so the politics became really intensified or the tribalism, quote unquote, became really intensified once a black man ascended to the White House and those numbers began to become, uh, um, shall we say, clear indicators of the shift in the country. Let me pause you there. And then Hold you on, can... stop. Sure. It's an important thing sure. to underscore because I hear this all the time. I live out in rural Virginia. Most of my neighbors are Caucasian. They're all good people, but they are overwhelmingly supporters of, of Trump. And I don't understand it, particularly people of faith that go to church. They, you know, faithful in their marriages. They, they're good people. I don't know what's happening, but... When I push back and I say that uh, some of this is a reaction to having a black president, they get very animated and they think that's utterly preposterous because they say, well, how can that be true? If America elected a black man president, how can then America turn around and be racist and then elect someone who, you know, would push racial buttons, et cetera, and that would be their primary motivation? They, they really don't accept that thesis. So what, what's that about? Well, I think, first of all, that's ahistorical. I mean, I can give you two quick examples. You know, Tom Watson, one of the most notorious racists from the state of Georgia, uh, former governor, uh, you know, when he, he started his political career as a popular, 
There are mo- we have stories of Tom Watson alongside of other white and black farmers with guns defending those farms, defending black farmers, their land. And he turned out to be one of the most vicious racists in the country. Or another example, George Wallace. George Wallace was um, uh, 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 a moderate to populist politician and he lost an election and he's famous, he's famous for saying, I will never be out N-word again, right? So, so, so it's not the case that uh, the country has, how, let, me, let me say it differently, let me put, put it positively, Sophia. The country has made gestures toward being genuinely racial, uh, you know, multiracial democracy before. And the country has betrayed those gestures over and over again. So it, 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 it's not a surprise that there was this moment where, and I write about this in my upcoming book uh, uh, on James Baldwin called Begin Again, that it's not a surprise that the country imagined that the election of a black man signaled a shift in, 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 in the very center gravity of our politics and then turned around and doubled down on its ugliness. Yeah. People, people are unsettled when they watch these commercials with these amb- racially ambiguous people or these interracial couples or these uh, racially ambiguous children. Folks are uncomfortable when they, are, they go and they see that their cities have, cha- the demographics of their neighborhoods are changing, that their cities are beginning to look more and more like Houston as opposed to your rural town in mm-hmm. Virginia. Folks are uncomfortable that it seems that the country is shifting and that cultural anxiety, actually, it's that cultural anxiety, according to social scientist Sophie, is actually driving the economic no anxiety. Doubt. I'm not, I'm not doing as well as I should be doing. My children's future isn't as bright as it should be because these black and brown people are taking all of the opportunities. And I think stop there because that's that's real. And again, you know, I have a lot of listeners from all over the world, all over the country, and a lot of them are, are Caucasian and you know, Latino, African American, et cetera. And this is important for my white listeners. I need you to hear this because one of the most important things, you know, uh, you cannot fix what you will not face. That's a ball mm. quote. <laughs> and mm. if you will not have the courage to understand that, for example, we take the shooting of the young black woman in Texas and we look at the number of random shootings by police officers of African-Americans stopped in their cars, et cetera, versus Dylan Roof, who goes and murders nine black people in a church and then is taken peaceably with no incident, uh, not even guns pulled on him. He's put in a flak jacket. He's taken to Burger King to get food. This isn't made up. If you can't understand, my fellow Americans, that there is a difference in my reality and Eddie's versus yours, you're not paying attention. And I think to your point, Eddie, I bring this up because I think that what happens is when you're not used to seeing one group of people act in a certain way so for example the obamas ascend to the white house they're very powerful they're a faithfully married couple it's like the cosby show come to life right they have well-behaved children they you know they fit your Mm -hmm. all-american family but that's not the way we usually define black families and so what I hear from a lot of white friends and otherwise colleagues will say, well, Sophia, how can there be racism? Look at you and look at Oprah and look at look at LeBron James and look at the Obamas. The Obamas are making you know, a 
They got a hundred million dollar deal with Netflix. They got a sixty-seven million dollar book deal. How can America be racist, Eddie? What do you say to that? Well, <laughs> we're the exceptions to the rule. Go. You know, and you know, it's always the case that the exceptional black folks somehow become uh, justification for the continuation of of systems. Uh, of, of structures and a Reduce cultural both. ethos that values that values some people over <laughs> others. Uh, it is it is the case that I am I am a university professor at Princeton University, uh, and you can probably count count folks like me on 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 yep. two hands and two feet. Uh, but when you think about the number of black and brown people who are in prison, when you think about the number of black and brown children and poor children who are languishing in poor schools, when you think about uh, 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 all of the kind of uh, disparities that we know that exist in our healthcare system that are, are racially rooted. When we think about the wealth gap, the education gap, uh, the empathy gap, I mean, we can go down the line. Uh, folks need to understand, Sophia, this is really important. I was born in 1968. The last major piece, the last major piece of legislation of the civil rights movement of the great society was the, probably the Fair Housing Act of 1968. 12 years later, uh, with the election of Ronald Reagan, and we can disagree about the particulars of the policy, there was an, uh, there was an assumption that we had achieved what we right. set out to achieve in the 1960s. Right. As if all of the generations of, of policies that had in some ways led to differentials in wealth, uh, that led to uh, differentials in opportunity, uh, had suddenly stalled. So part of what we have to do, and you hit it dead on the head with the Baldwin quote, you can't fix what you can't face. And we can't have reconciliation without mm-hmm. the truth. Amen. That's real. We have we have to tell the truth about where we are and how we got here and what we've done. Uh, and it, so it seems to me that if we're going to understand Trumpism, we can't exceptionalize him either. Wow. That's and what deep. do I what mean by that? Woo-hoo, break that down. What I mean by that is that we want to displace all of our sins on the Trump. Yes. We want to say that he's the yes. problem. And he's that's all symptom. we need to do is get he's rid of him. Of he's a symptom. If he was just if it was just him, then we wouldn't see all of these Republicans bending over backwards to follow him. Where we where we where we wouldn't see if it was just him, we wouldn't see unless this is going to hit home. We wouldn't see evangelical white Christians right warping and and distorting the gospel to support this guy because in fact what they're doing, and I'll say this as the former president of the American Academy of Religion. I would say that, that that they're engaged more so in a defense of the idolatry of whiteness than they are of Christianity. You know, it's funny you say that. It's not funny because, you know, I've been writing about this quite a bit. And I just had a piece in yes, USA Today. Yeah, I just yeah. had a piece in USA Today about this last week. And I know that I'm stepping on toes and I'm, you know, upsetting people. One of my dearest friends who happens to be white, who lives in Texas, who's a big Trump supporter and in the, the camp of big evangelical church, I think her pastor is... Uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland and uh, another big Trump mm-hmm. supporter and um, she sent me this really irate text she was very upset with my article and I said you know what? you're gonna have to deal with it you're gonna have to like it or not like it I really don't care because it's the truth how dare you call yourself a lover of Christ and a lover of God and you can support all this yet Obama wears a tan suit and you guys want to take him out Obama was in church every Sunday that I saw with wife with children one wife no children out of wedlock no baby's mama's on the side. No hint that he's cheated on his wife. 
and yet you guys couldn't give him you call him a muslim you call him all these things and so it, you're right if we're going to tell the truth about where we are we're going to have to start dealing with this and max lucado who you know is a big uh, christian mm-hmm. author mega church pastor wrote a piece that's in the washington post that everybody's been posting um this blog he did which got reprinted mm-hmm. and he said that you know this man's not decent he, he said he's tired he's not taking it anymore he wouldn't let his daughters date somebody like that he, you know he's like come on what are we doing and so mm-hmm. i think that you're right they've twisted themselves into a pretzel you see the republicans do it every day people who i've known for years who i respected once who i know don't conduct themselves in this manner privately have looked the other way at everything to give donald trump a pass and it's really upsetting frankly uh you, you know i think i think it's a combination of two things sophie i think i really do on the one hand uh, i think it has everything to do with race i think there is a general a, a general uh, uneasiness uh, with the cultural shifts and the demographic shifts in the country i see that but i also think it's it's selfishness and greed it's the intersection of race of and selfishness and greed and trump sits in the sweet spot so there's there're folks who aren't who 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 aren't in their hearts uh white supremacists they're not racist um uh, uh they they they're loving uh but you know they they are they're just preoccupied with with the almighty dollar they're preoccupied with their own well-being that their notion of the the idea of the public the idea of of loving thy neighbor of being in communion and community with others right takes a back seat to their pursuit of profit And so you have these folks who are so committed in my view uh to 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 their own selfish pursuits combined with folks who are who are committed to an idea that America must always remain a white nation in the vein of old Europe and together together they have the country by the throat. Yeah, I think that's right and I think that you know in the, the 5 minutes or so that we we have left cuz I like to keep these to the 30 minute mark um so that people mm-hmm. are engaged. I um I want to talk about, you know, we we've touched on, you know, the debate. We know that the the caucus is starting January. We know that eventually the Democrats will pick a nominee uh and we know who the Republican nominee will be ideally unless he is removed from office. And by the way, folks, I've said this before. I think there's a 50/50 chance he gets removed. Uh I didn't think that before, but this situation in Syria and the press conference that the president had on Wednesday, uh October 16th, if you haven't watched it, you should. It's very upsetting. We've all but abandoned our allies. We're sending a very dangerous message of uh, Turkey and Russia must be thrilled with that press conference. Uh and uh I can see the shift happening and what I'm starting to see on Twitter and and you know of course my ears to the ground with Republicans and I know a lot of them and this could be their tipping point tragically not the abuse of office not the a uh, refusal to honor a uh, co-equal branches of government subpoenas and oversight authorities which of course you know was an article against Nixon etc that seems not to bother them which is very upsetting but i honestly believe that this issue that we've gotten ourselves into now by ceding uh Syria and the Kurds to Turkey is going to come back and haunt us in ways Eddie that we can't imagine here on the homeland uh ISIS is going to resurge 
and we're going to see ourselves in a very difficult uh, position. So I think that there's a chance that he gets uh, removed. But what I wanted to say in these last few minutes and just kind of get your thoughts on what is, you know, I don't know that there's a way forward. I I wrote a book uh, in January 2017, E Pluribus uh, One, Reclaiming Our Founders' Vision for a United America. And what I was simply talking about was that uh, you know, if you look at how this nation started, we start half slave and half free. And yet we're, we're professing these notions of liberty and freedom for all men, except for black men and black women. And then, you know, we fast forward and the founders have a vision that I think we can all say is extraordinary, right? It was an extraordinary vision, mm-hmm. uh, but flawed because of slavery. And my thought is that, you know, when you look at our motto, e pluribus unum, when you take that in its most raw core, it suggests that we don't all have to be alike. It suggests that we should be different, that we should think differently, that we should challenge one another. And that from that diversity of thought, of idea, of value, of etc., we become one great nation. Eddie, I guess my question to you is, is that is that possible? Can we live up to that e pluribus unum? And if Donald Trump uh, is reelected, uh, what do you see happening? Or if he's removed, what do you see happening? Does the country split? I'm very concerned um, in ways I've never been before. So I'm just going to kind of give you the floor and let you, you know, comment first on the e pluribus unum. And then, you know, what happens if the president is removed or if he remains, I think is really the big question on the table. I think, you know, I think both are, 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 are connected. And let me say it, let me put it this way. Um, what, has, what has frustrated our path to a genuine democracy has been and has always been our belief that white people matter more than others in this country. We've organized our political system to reflect it. And at every turn, when we try to do better, when we try to reach for our higher angels, there's a reassertion of the belief, Sophia, that white people ought to be valued. All right, stop there, because that's going to upset white folks that are listening. And I'm going to talk to them right now. Stay here. Stay parked. Don't fail. Don't stop listening to the podcast. Listen and hear what he's saying. It's not an attack. It's not a put down. I'm trying to speak truth and to amplify but I'm gonna let you finish your thought is not so much it is that I'm trying to explain this okay so if you look at the way we start this country and, and I started there intentionally you're absolutely right it's it's systems and structures that were set up for white male landowners at first right White male mm-hmm. slaveholders at first, white male financiers, the Vanderbilts, you can go into, you know, the Rockefellers and you begin to look at the Industrial Revolution. Even poor white people, hear me on this, folks. You weren't a part of that whiteness either. Am I right, Eddie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. go ahead, finish your thought. Keep listening now. I mean, so, so, so the point that I'm trying to suggest here is that if we're going to finally release ourselves into a different possibility, into a different way of being, we're going to have to finally kill, put to death this ideology of whiteness. We're going to have to finally put put to bed this belief that white people matter more than others. 
and then together reimagine ourselves. What, you know, I put it this way in my new book. I say, we need a third American founder. Mm, you know, we have, the, we have the revolution, which founded this great country. And then we we almost tore ourselves to, to shreds with the and Civil War. And race was a central and issue. Slavery. It was a central issue. It was at the heart of the yes. Civil War. And and as a result of this of Reconstruction, the modern U.S. nation state was the idea of citizenship untethered from the notion of race with the Civil War amendments, with the 13th, 14th, and mm -hmm. 15th amendments. So the idea of the modern U.S. nation state happened in the second founding, which is that period. And then we had... In the middle of the 20th century, the Black Freedom Revolution, which sought to, in some ways, make good on the promise of the second of the second founding. But here we are in this moment of moral reckoning with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is to reimagine who we are as Americans together. And the only way we can do that is that we must finally leave behind this idea that because you're white, you are to be valued more than others. I put it this way to my friends all the time. I happen to love profoundly some people who happen to be white and then they're white people. There's a difference mm -hmm. in my mind. And so part of what we have to do is to begin to imagine a genuine kind of mutuality with each other. So if Trump is, if Trump wins or if he's put out of office, we're going to confront that reckoning mm -hmm. And it's going to require all of us, Sister Sophia, no matter what our ideological preferences are, to reach deep down inside to imagine ourselves anew. And, you know, Jimmy says we have to do our first works over. That, you know, quoting Revelations, we have to begin again. And that's what we will have to do together. And hopefully hand in hand, arm in arm, we will do so and, and really, really reach for the promise that is the greatness. of Yeah, the and I think that that's the idealistic, optimistic Eddie, Sophia, and many of the people we know and who we associate with. And again, I, I say this all the time, and I the whole point of my book was to stress to people, you don't have to agree. That's, America's not about you agreeing with somebody. It's not about us having to have mm -hmm. the same point of view or the same politics. None of that is true. That's, in fact, the opposite of what we're founded on. But at the end of the day, when you love your country and you love your nation, you do, as you said earlier, you honor the Constitution. You honor the documents that keep us this great republic that we still are, a diminishing one for sure. Uh, and President Trump has done damage. And again, it's this isn't a partisan statement. When you see a press conference like the one that was given on Wednesday, and we've all but abandoned every principle that Ronald Reagan believed in, that John Kennedy believed in, that Dwight Eisenhower believed in, or, or George Herbert Walker Bush, or, you know, you can go on and on and on through your presidents in the, this modern era. And regardless of political party, those things stop at the water's edge, right? When it comes to foreign affairs, mm -hmm. we're very clear about who we are and, and that we stick with our friends. And to abandon that is profound. And so I, I'm not sure where we're headed, but I agree with you. I would just like to say that what worries me is, is when you see these white manifestos and you see someone mm -hmm. walk into a Walmart where there are Latino and Hispanic people that shop there and open fire uh, and let leave behind this manifesto that I won't blame on President Trump, but certainly his rhetoric has given cover to. 
and I'm not, I don't know where we go from here and I'm, I'm concerned, but I will say this and then I'll let you have the final word. I'm going to quote W.E.B. Du Bois going out and he said, either America will destroy ignorance or ignorance will destroy the United States. Now, we, we can, folks, that's real. At the end of the day, we're either going to get through this together or we're not going to get through this. Eddie, am I right about that? I'll let you kind of close that. No, you're, no, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. And, you know, it, it, it's, no, it's no reason for me to kind of repeat it. Uh, we have some dark days ahead and even some dark, even, even darker days ahead. But, you know, the darkest, the darkest hour is midnight. And that's the dawn of a new day. Mm-hmm. So we're on the cusp of a new beginning, but it, it, it depends on the choices we make. Mm-hmm. The future of the country depends on no one else but us. Okay. And we have to confront the choice and hopefully we will make the right one, even though our history suggests we will. Well, it has been my pleasure to have you. You know that you and I could run our mouths all day and talk all day about a whole lot of things. I don't even want to get started. I get my glass of wine, you get your Jamesons, and we'd be on here just talking. But I will have you back. What's the title of your new book that's coming out? It's called Begin Again. James Baldwin's America and its urgent lessons for our own. It'll be out well, in the I'm spring. I'm excited about that. Where can people uh, follow you on social media and see you on television? Oh, sure. They can um, just follow me on Twitter at ESGlaud. Uh, and anytime, you know, I'm on MSNBC all the time. So just, just, just change, you know, run the channels. As my you know, I will, I will say this too, just again, as a close, it just occurred to me and I wanted to bring this up uh, as we were talking, but I forgot. Um, and you and I born in the same year. So, uh, you know, uh, you understand, I understand. Uh, and, uh, but I've seen some of the uh, comments that you get. Uh, much like ones I get are emails and they're not very kind Uh, they're racially they're awful Um, and I just want to say to you to keep the faith keep up the fight um, be smart be vigilant and um, keep doing what you do because you really you say some stuff that hits a note with people um up doing what you do keep writing keep pushing us uh keep challenging us to go higher uh because i think that's what matters thank you thank you so much keep me covered and i'll you keep got you it covered. my brother i'll talk to you soon bye-bye <laughs> all right take care bye-bye